This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, The Amusing Bible. And the author is Arthur Tomashin. And Arthur joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Arthur. Hello. Great to have you with us, Arthur. The Amusing Bible. Now, first of all, this is based on a French book that goes all the way back, written in 1882. And your Bible, the Amusing Bible, as you call it, you say it appeals to skeptics, atheists, and anyone who is interested in the evolution of Christianity or has any question about the Old Testament. So let's get back to this book that you discovered that was written in 1882. Tell us about the author and the book and why you decided to translate the book into English and become the Amusing Bible, as you title it. When I was young, I, I basically, uh, my upbringing was, uh, I was born in a Christian country, uh, actually, as a matter of fact, the first Christian country in the world, which was Armenia. And I believed in Christianity and Old Testament, New Testament, um, just because everybody did, and everybody said it is true. So growing up, um, I read many books, um, and I came along this book uh, called La Biblia Amusante. And since I was going to French school, I, I was able to read it. And then I found it that uh, during Soviet Union times, it was translated into Armenian. So it was a lot better for me to basically read and understand it. And it surprised me that um, it showed a lot of inconsistencies and errors in the Old Testament uh, when at that time I was actually believing that the Old Testament is true word by word. So when I had a second look at it, it just completely blew my mind. And I started kind of um, doing a little more research on it, see where everything's coming from and learned about the history. And the more I did that, the more I stepped away from Christianity and from from belief. Um, and uh, when I was in the United States, I was talking about uh, my experience and with my wife, and I was thinking, you know, let me get English version or something like that that I read, which will point out every single thing, um, verse by verse, in the Old Testament or in the Bible, uh, so you can see it for yourself, since she went to Catholic school. So, and I looked for it, and I, re- I found that there was never an English version. There is no book that is similar to it. And as a matter of fact, the New York Times newspaper of England banned it from ever being translated into English or Spanish back in 1800, which actually fueled my drive in a way, and I decided to be the one who can produce a book like that. Um, based on it, not a direct translation, since he had a very harsh language, and, and frankly, I didn't agree with a lot of points. And I added a lot of research, and it became kind of a, a, an option for people like my wife that needs to 
have a pointer or a book that will point out everything one by one and uh, did my research, did my work and created something different, but it is based on like the Amazon by Again, it's a light-hearted approach, as Arthur calls it, the amusing Bible, and it does analyze the Bible verse by verse, and yes, everyone, it is a long book, because <laughs> you're dealing with the Old Testament. <laughs> you're dealing with yes, the yes. Old Testament, so it's going to end up being almost 500 pages long. Yeah, and I in- included um, Friedrich's, uh, there was an amazing artist back in the day, in the 1800s again, in 1882, he illustrated the book of Leo Textile and printed on 1897, uh, which was the second extended version. And he included mostly Friedrich's uh, illustrations, nothing else, just a couple of sentences on the bottom. So I included those 400 of those illustrations into the book, which makes it kind of a little more fun to read, and it creates this kind of like a movie-like uh, continuation of images. Uh, kind of showing you what it may look like, what it is being said. Well, to give everyone kind of a sense of this, I, I'm just going to start with the first paragraph in Chapter 1. It's titled, The Creation of Earthly Paradise. And permit me just to read this paragraph, and I, you, you'll, you'll understand where Arthur's coming from. Quote, God has always existed. In the beginning, he was alone. There was no light, and the world was nothing but him. At that time, God was called Elohim. That's how the Hebrew text of Genesis refers to him. The word Elohim is plural, meaning gods with an S, which is a very odd name for a perfectly lonely Lord. So there you can understand this this uh, so-called uh, amusing side that Arthur has raising questions. Yes, and, and I try to keep it light because the Old Testament can be very confusing and boring to read, uh, depending on which part you uh, kind of land on. And there are a lot of parts that actually get you so twisted into the conversation that for me it took many nights, days and nights to kind of sort it out and put it in columns or who's who, because there are many characters that have the same name, and it is being talked about the same, different people with the same name in the same chapter. So it can get very confusing. So, uh, so I kind of try to sort it out and add a little bit lighthearted approach, kind of like, a, you know, making it uh, fun to read instead of uh, falling asleep on it, you know? <laughs> right, and and you just, like you pointed out, and we have pointed out emphatically, I think, you just ask a lot of questions. That was what you were doing here. Yeah, I think the um, most important message would be question everything, because belief in, in a factless truth, in a way, uh, it's, not, it's not knowledge. You know, belief is actually synonymous to fall for something other than know or discover. And what I'm um, raising a question of, uh, why don't you question everything that you know now that you're at this age because right now you're the oldest you've ever been and everything that you learned throughout your life maybe you were 10 maybe you were 12 you accepted as truth but you never questioned it again we have to look back and reevaluate our beliefs and more often than not you'll find out that a lot of it that you thought it was knowledge or it was a fact but actually it was believed without a fact so, so again, uh, another just quick excerpt, and I'm going to read again 
quote, in order not to make mistakes, it is necessary to see clearly. Here, one is entitled to conclude that poor Daddy God was sitting in complete, unfurnished darkness for a trillion centuries. Fortunately, he never banged his nose anywhere in all that time since there was nothing around him to run into, not even a comfy recliner. And then, of course, you quote Genesis, and God said, let there be light. Well, what is light? Another question. Yes. Um, it not only uh, not only doesn't talk about light, uh, but it mentions, it kind of implies that light was everywhere without an apparent source, which kind of means that the sun wasn't the producer of light, but the light was created three days before the sun was created. So, and then, but every day before the sun is created, it says there was a day and a night. We know that without a sun, there is no day and night. We call the day and night because the sun illuminates that part of the earth or not. And But the Bible suggests that the sun is there uh, basically to kind of mirror the light toward the earth, if that makes any sense. But the light was there just mm-hmm. because God created it. So I'm trying to kind of not, not only raise the question, but talk about things that would make you raise questions. And... and kind of wonder about it right um not only that and then another thing i uh, uh question is where, where where did space come from i mean if we know that the space always was because god was in a space but what kind of space was that or we don't really talk about the stars or the bible uh, kind of considers it insignificant which is uh, the whole universe is stars <laughs> and stars are suns and it, I kind of elaborate on that a little bit in the book. Well, you go, of course, from the creation to the Garden of Eden, as you call it, Chapter 2, the first honeymoon. So everything was perfect, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it is very interesting, and for me, it has always been funny, um, the story of the snake, the tiger snake, and the apple. So it's actually a very funny chapter, the honeymoon. <laughs> And, of course, the following chapters, the honeymoon's over, so we know what happened there. We know what happened <laughs> yes. there. Yes. Yes. So you, how did, did you, so did you just methodically go through every uh, book of the Old Testament? Yes. Yes, and then um, there are parts that I kind of uh, swap chapters to show that this time, time-wise – this chapter of the Bible should have been before this chapter. Because if we're talking about, let's say, King Darius, uh, it has to be this year. That's what we know from history. Even though in the Bible, the numbers are, the uh, the times, everything is like kind of mixed up and wrong. But I try to give the, the real history behind it um, through a lot of research so people can kind of have an idea what was um, being talked about. Well, and you go through, well, of course, the, the Old Testament is filled with, if, if, if I might just use this too often repre- repeated phrase, the good, the bad, and the ugly, isn't it? I mean, the Old Testament is filled with all kinds of uh, happiness and then uh, sadness and outright uh, disaster and war and uh, whole nations being wiped out. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, that's why I have the, the cover of the book I have, uh, supposedly this uh, god, uh, wearing a rope which is all bloody. 
because he orders to kill millions of people in the Old Testament. A lot of people, including the his blood, which kills everything. Uh, but and then every time he talks to anybody, says, hey, I order you to go kill this nation, everybody, including infants, and but just don't kill the young girls that never seen men. So keep them for your soldiers, which is such an ugly thing. Like when you really read it, even if you hear from somebody that says that, you will think that person is not a good person, let alone this is presented as, as God, whatever that may mean to a lot of people. I even found out people don't even question what do they mean when they say God? What do you, what do you imagine or what do you, you know? I asked this question to a lot of people and I heard a lot of people just kept either two words to say and then kind of uh, stutter or silent, which is very interesting that we don't reflect on what we think and what we, who we refer when we say God. Is this the guy that I ordered to kill a lot of people? And I don't believe that happened, but I'm just saying it is written right. as true, you know. So big and, question, who is God? Big question. Yeah, and and that, that question um, can, can mean many things for a lot of people. I heard um, an old man sitting in the sky. I heard an energy. I heard, right. uh, I don't know. And, and I always ask, if you, if you define God in any way, you already limit God with your definition. You cannot, even if you say he has a form, he's limited to that form. If you say he's anywhere, he's limited to that physical place. But we know he's only present. That means he's everywhere at all times in everyone during every act. Right. That means he's nowhere, which means he's not. That just, for me, is just logical. When you look at it, the omnipresence itself takes away the understanding that God is a being. It well, may be being missed, but not not a particular being, because not like an alien, you know. Um, basically, that that is an idea that a lot of people have never touched upon to see what does it mean when we say omnipresent? It means he's not anywhere in one particular place. Well, before we conclude talking uh, with Arthur, we he, again, is the author of his book, The Amusing Bible. We need to just mention, uh, we're just about out of time, mention his next book, the second volume, called The Amusing Gospel. Yes, that will be... Um kind of parsing through the New Testament, again, verse by verse, but I decided this time not to include the quote and then what I think about it or the research, uh, because that kind of takes, uh, I think it, it can be a lot more fun. Well, I'm writing that one as a movie, as a way that, um, for example, I'm reading the quote and, I'm, and then I'm making that into an act, into a play. Mm. Just like a normal conversation, mm -hmm. like uh, for example, Mary was a little sad, and Joseph um, was talking uh, to her in a way, saying, "Oh, what's going on? Uh, why are you sad lately? You're not talking to me like this, like a movie, right. in a way." But and then uh, it's really the uh, context of the New Testament. That way, it opens your eyes, and in a way, you read it. You're like, "Oh, this is impossible," or "This is funny." I never looked at it this way. For I want people to have a second look, just to take a look. They can believe in anything uh, they want, and I respect that. But my idea is I used to believe in a lot of things without a question. 
I'm trying to provide you an option. If you ever want to look at, you can find that every belief you have can be looked from a different approach, and that may, may, that may make you kind of surprised and go, aha, uh-huh, I never, never thought about it. And for some people, that can be uh, an enjoyment, for example, for me, to find something that I never thought about, to kind of find an angle that to think differently or to grow, at least, um, your knowledge about something, especially if you love the Bible, you would want to know more about it. So I tend to provide that. We've been listening to Arthur Tomashin. He is the author of his book, The Amusing Bible, again with the Amusing Gospel, the second volume about to be released. Tell us the best way to get your book, The Amusing Bible, Arthur. Um, It can be uh, purchased from uh, Amazon.com, from BarnesNobles.com, iUniverse, um, basically everywhere that whatever they sell books online you can get them from thank you so much arthur for joining us on iUniverse radio my pleasure thank you so much for hosting you're listening to iUniverse radio we'll be back right after these messages Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, The Four Gates, a saga of the human being on the path from the pit of despair to the realm of fulfillment, from confusion to clarity, culminating in the deepest realization. And the author is Dr. Erhard Vogel, and Dr. Vogel joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dr. Vogel. Hello, Steve, and hello to all the listeners. Great to have you with us. Before we get into the details of your book and before we find out a little bit about you and your background and, of course, why you wrote the book, I just wanted to read a couple things just to kind of set the stage here and ask a couple questions which you're going to answer in your book. And here's uh, the questions for the listener. Do you long to live a meaningful and fulfilling life? beyond the material pursuits of the American dream? Have you worked hard to achieve success only to find it leaves you feeling empty? And do you have negative behaviors from which you want to free yourself? Well, Dr. Vogel is going to share secret teachings uh, revealed in a way that certainly will reverberate within all of us. Dr. Vogel, before we get into those that teaching from you. Tell us a little bit about your background and and then, of course, why you wrote the book. 
I've been teaching for 45 years, plus more. I've been teaching all over the world. I spent years traveling and living in different countries. But actually, I've been working that this since I was a child because I grew up in life and death situation and bombardments and actually facing death as a child. So I had to figure out why I was alive and what am I going to do with this life that is actually fulfilling and meaningful to me. And that makes sense, you see? Exactly. So give us some details about why you wrote the book. It happened when I was living in a cave in the high up in the Himalayan mountains. I was living by myself in complete silence and just experienced utter clarity and joy of being. And it was just, it was beautiful. I felt in deep bliss. And it occurred to me, everybody could live this way. Everybody fundamentally wants to be in such a free and clear experience. But the thought came to me of the people back home who suffer from so much anxiety and fear and depression and anger. Those are characteristics of many parts of humanity. And the thing is, this suffering is completely unnecessary. People can free themselves of the suffering if they just know what to do. Now, I'm not talking here about some instituting some belief systems, but I'm talking about learning actual ways of being that they can institute to live life full of vitality and joy and positivity and real success. And that is in relationship to themselves. The relationship to themselves is a principle important, as well as in relationship to everything around them, everything that they're in touch with. So that's why I felt I needed to return to live in my culture here in the United States and demonstrate through direct experience and through living the life of driving cars, paying taxes, and so on, how to live with all those circumstances and conditions, still self-empowered and self-directed towards your success and fulfillment. So this particular book comes from a series of talks I gave when a person who was the greatest living sage, uh, whom I had known for over 30 years uh, from the Himalayas, he came to visit me at our ashram, Nataraja Ashram, and he and I conducted a week-long residential retreat at our ashram. So wherever he went, a large group of followers would come from all over the world. So we divided our retreat duties. I, for example, I would teach in the morning, he in the afternoon, the next day, vice versa. And so... The first talk I gave, I sat down in front of the, the group of all these people whom I had never even met. And I said to myself, what do I say to these people regarding the most fundamental knowledge they need in order to live successfully and fulfillingly? And it occurred to me, and I said to them, some people like to gain knowledge through plain fact, others through a story. So I said to them, I will tell you a story of fact. So I proceeded to make up this saga 
about somebody who lives in the realm of despair and murkiness and lack of color and joy and vitality. And that and in that despair, she scrambles out of this hole she had been in and sees in the distance a realm of color and beauty and wonder. And that inspires her to make the trek there. However, when she arrives, she finds she doesn't know how to get in. And a guide shows up and helps her to enter this beautiful realm. Then this guide leads her through four learning and developmental stages in order to find the realm and reach the realm of fulfillment and being completely at home. And that's the title of the book, The Four Gates. Dr. Vogel, who does this book appeal to and, and why? This book is really a detailed road roadmap that every human being needs because we all want to learn to live true to ourselves, to direct our life according to its meaning and purpose. Thus, it is a fundamental need of everyone and should actually be taught to, to even to children as soon as they have enough language to understand, as well as to all adults. So this book is for everyone, and anyone can learn to consciously direct their life consciously direct their life to real success, real fulfillment. And therefore, you are in touch, no matter where you're coming from or where you're going, if you really want to take charge of your life. Overall, what would you like readers to take away from this work? Oh, so much. But if I had to choose one thing, I think it is that they are worthy of the attentiveness to be related to by themselves, that they're worthy to be related to by themselves and to be related to with, with utmost respect, with expertise, and with unconditional acceptance, with love. You use this story, as you've already mentioned, to help us understand this journey. Uh, give us a few scenes, if you would, of this journey that would really help us understand more. Okay. The first theme the book starts out with, this evolutionary tale, begins with the wanderer living in this world of murk, stuck in a deep pit of despair. And one day he sees in the distance a realm of beauty and vibrant life and is determined to get there. So that's the first scene. Then he gets to the border of this realm. He meets a guide who helps him enter this, I call it the royal realm. Uh, and he can tell at once that this is his actual home. He belongs here. Here I can finally be at home. So that's the next scene. But then in the, the, the process, the scenes are of advancement and development, but also resistance. She frequently resists most of all what she wants. She resists her own fulfillment because she remains attached to the realm of suffering. Now, Stephen may also have noticed I sometimes say he and sometimes she purposely 
because that's how in, how it's in the book to to get the point across. This is beyond gender. Okay. Yes, very good. If you were to sum up and introduce this book in just a few sentences or two, uh, how would you do that? Well, okay. The four gates illustrate and provides an experience of the path of self-understanding, clarity, and how to get to the fulfillment we all want. For wonderful with a real guide, a real teacher that leads to a successful and caring relationship with yourself. So this story brings you details, points of knowledge that guide you on the path for living according to your real identity and thereby freeing yourself from the self-imposed limitations that curtail our lives. Tell us how your book, Dr. Vogel, is different than others of similar topic. Uh, what sets it apart from the crowd, would you say? Well, very good question. Uh, this book is carefully constructed to direct the experiences of the teacher. So now the, the experiences the teacher shares in a way that the reader has direct experience of deep, fundamental knowledge we need to conduct our lives meaningfully and successfully. This book is an evolutionary device for the reader. It is written from the writer's direct experience, not hearsay or beliefs or someone else's opinion. So this book is to be experienced deeply within, where the recognition of inner truth resides. This allows the reader to discover their true being for themselves, their real identity, and how to live that successfully. So more than a story or even a teaching, it can be a catalyst for the most meaningful personal transformation. The writing's simple, direct honesty sheds light on your capacity for self-realization, the most fulfilling state. It touches your heart. It touches your heart. And it reveals to you a fresh, uncomplicated approach to a life that really works. You know, Stephen, this time of meditation and uh, body, mind, spirit connection, having become a mainstream topic of conversation. It's easy to find a lot of interesting information. It is rare, however, to find expert and personal guidance, the very substance and experience that lead to fulfillment in self-realization. So unique to this book is its realness, a sharp contrast to the dogma, the superficial, theoretical, even fantasy that we so often find. The Four Gates is utterly straightforward, practical, authentic sharing to the greatest heights and deepest depth. Sharing of what about us is beyond time, circumstance, and condition. The reader experiences self-recognition, the real self, 
the limitless essence that we are. As you're guided carefully to trust self, you experience of your limitlessness and your interconnectedness is without doubt. This is not a quick fix. It's not offering superficial how to formulate. The book offers substantive experience by which sincere readers can change their life involvement from the superficial to the substantive, from the, the ephemeral, the momentary, to the permanent, from the illusory to the real. Often a book or a story has a, a setting, a place. When and where does your story take place? So the setting is not a geographical place or a time, past, present, or future. It's relevant everywhere, all the time, because it may, it's a very distinct addressing of the human condition in all, all places and all times. And if you were to sum up your book with just three words, uh, how would you describe your book? Boy, you really want to challenge me, don't you? (laughs) I would say the story is engaging, experiential, and universal. But may I just please let me add one fourth one. It's a, a fourth idea. It's uniquely effective. The characters evoke recognition of the deepest experiences within each one of us, whether we're wanting this or not, whether we're aware of it or not. What was the most challenging part about writing your book? Well, you know, I consider words as wonderful means of clarifying the world, including our ideas, thoughts, and feelings to each other, but most of all clarifying to ourselves. And that is what I'm doing with the reader in this book. And that's the greatest fun for me. I aim to represent the beauty and power of truth with words that do it full justice and stimulate growth, not only in the use of language, but also in the ability to experience on subtler and more expansive levels. So the challenge lies not in the words. We, we pretty well know the words used here. But in the way that they applied in a thoroughly focused mode, stream of consciousness, experiencing the meaning these thoughts convey stimulates a steady growth of focus and understanding in the reader's mind. Doesn't everyone want that? I'm certain we all do, and we quest for understanding ourselves, and that is the focus of your book. Is there anything we haven't covered, Dr. Vogel, that you feel is important for people to know about your book? Yeah, I think about 395 more pages. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, let me say, I think you know that a sincerely focused reader will experience knowledge that has been an integral part of the human experience for ages, but is much forgotten. When you allow this experience to sink in and become part of you, you will accomplish a deep-reaching transformation within yourself. Following the loving guidance offered, you can evolve along with the wanderer. 
The story of the wanderer is the story of each one of us. Well, Dr. Vogel, we appreciate you sharing about your book, The Four Gates, a saga of the human being on the path from the pit of despair to the realm of fulfillment, from confusion to clarity, culminating in the deepest realization. What's the best way to get your book? Where do we find it? Well, uh, our universe has a website where the book is available, also on the Internet. It, all, it is also available on Kindle and Nook, so it's available all over the place. Well, we thank you, Dr. Vogel, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you, Steve. I enjoyed speaking with you. Have a good life if you want to. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing. More joy and less judgment. You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Singer and His Songs. And joining me from near Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is author Deke Rivers. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, I'm honored to visit with you. You have such a fascinating background. I will just begin reading the first of your chapter one just to give people a flair or a flavor of what the book might in- encompass. Uh, you begin it like this. Chris Wilde was a superstar. No, he was more than that. He was a megastar. Even at his young age, he, has, he was already a living legend. He had reached the pinnacle of the music industry. He was in a class by himself. Way above all the other entertainers in the world, he had conquered the world musically and now was acknowledged as the world's greatest singer, composer, guitarist, and entertainer. So you introduce your main character, Chris Wilde. You have a background that's not specifically in the music industry. Uh, You have another career that you pursued for a number of years, but just in the last uh, two, three years, you began with great earnest writing and authoring books. Share a little of your background and how this book got written. Well, uh, basically, uh, I, 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 I do actually have some uh, uh, influences from the music industry. I, when I was an architect working in Toronto here, I, I got to uh, work on uh, at least four recording studios. And uh, the recording studios were very complex in, in sound aspects and acoustics, and as you can appreciate but uh, working on those particular studios, I got to meet a lot of the, the uh, modern-day uh, um, artists in that era, like uh, John Denver, uh, a, lot of, a lot of artists. And uh, I got to meet the, the Guess Who group with Burton Cummings from Canada mm. oh, here yes, and, yes, uh, yes. 
and Alice Cooper and, uh, and Bob Seeger and so on. So I got to communicate with them a lot about their industry, their their travels through the through their one night tours and and so on. So I got to uh, got a, a pretty good understanding of what they were going through and what they were doing and and so on. Plus the producers themselves, a guy called Jack Richardson was a great inspiration. Uh, and uh, Bob Ezrin, who did quite a few of the uh, uh, Pink Floyd albums uh, wow. and so on, and uh, that's that's fascinating. You know, on its own. It, it was it was it was a it was a, a an opening uh, of some technology that I hadn't experienced before. But uh, I got got to got a good handle on it. And whenever new studios came up in in Toronto, they always called me rather than going to the architect. So. Wow. I felt very honored in being sort of accepted into that little special click, click of, of the music industry. Your story is 484 pages. Uh, the title again, The Singer and His Songs. There is right. obviously a connection with the music industry as you've described, but this story, where did the, the, uh, the genesis of the, of the plot line come from? How did you come up with a plot line and how the did you The plot line is, is basically my own life. Ah. The only problem was I didn't become the rock star. I, uh, but uh, the, uh, the situation of being born in Estonia, uh, you know, being a DP or a displaced person, and after the war, uh, immigrating to Australia, and then uh, I grew up basically in Australia, learning the, the new English language and 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 so on. And uh, but uh, more importantly, it was the era where the Victorian uh, past started to fade away and the modern era started to appear because the baby boomers were all coming becoming teenagers mm. and uh, all of a sudden uh, the, the whole uh, lifestyle started to change where the father knows best rule started to disappear and and uh, and uh, you know the the old european of uh, you know you don't talk back to your father situation you know, the the, the the teenagers were asking questions, and all of a sudden Elvis can comes along and introduces a new music. Uh, in Australia at the time, they were playing one hour of rock and roll music a night on one radio station. Wow! This was in Sydney, the main Sydney, and uh, so you know, but everybody, all the teenagers were listening to that one hour, you know, and waiting for them the next day so they could listen to another hour of it because there was no music industry in Australia at the time, all the music was imported. So, you know, but slowly but surely, you know, the one hour became two hours, then became three hours, and then all of a sudden they realized, you know, with Bill Haley and and uh, and a lot of the other entertainers of that era started appearing in Australia, being brought in by a guy called Lee Gordon, who was the promoter. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the whole world opened up. You know, suddenly there was color in the life again. The old art, the old uh, European uh, grays, blacks, navy blues disappeared. There was color mm. light. Right. <laughs> Even in the clothing, the haircuts changed. The whole transition of uh, the disappearance of an era was so very apparent. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, it was it was an exciting time to be alive. You know, and. Uh, and uh, Elvis's music, uh, you know, he, without a doubt, I mean, he was the prime uh, bringer in. But there was Little Richard, and there was uh, Eddie Cochran, and there was Gene Vincent, and there was a whole string of others, Fats Domino, and 
and then a few local artists started appearing as well. And uh, but uh, you know they weren't in the same class as as, as what was being brought in uh, from the states and England. And it was Tommy Steele from England, and uh, and then Cliff Richard started to appear later on, and so on. But it was an exciting time to be alive, and and because there was there was a massive change in culture, <laughs> and I always laughed uh, that. Uh, when Elvis's first movie came to Sydney, uh, the uh, sidewalks outside the theater were all lined up with, with all these women mm. wanting to go and see Elvis. <laughs> Yet across the street, they were showing the movie And God Created Woman, uh-huh. where all the men were lined up to go and see uh, Bridget Bardot's butt for two seconds. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Your novel, is it set in contemporary times or is it sort of a flashback or how would you describe it? Well, sure. it, it it starts off in in the uh, in the past, obviously back in the fifties when rock and roll was being born. Okay. Basically, the, I, I always look at it that way because that's when the era really started and, and took took hold. You know, the first song, you know, for, you know, Bill Haley's uh, "Rock Around the Clock" was the first one that hit the the, uh, the the charts in the United States and became number one. I mean, that was the first rock and roll record, and that's going back into the fifties. Mm. So. But the the rest of the story evolves around the, the, much more to the modern times, where you know uh, the uh, entertainers became much more involved in in the the process. And the, and the book basically tells you, you know, or goes through the processes that a person has to uh, go through before he can achieve any kind of success and any kind of fame. And it's not an easy road. It's like, it's like Elvis didn't walk onto Ed Sullivan's stage and become a star overnight. I mean, he had, had he had uh, uh, duties to perform way before that, and uh, and and you know faced many rejections and and the criticism from the adults and everything else. And the adults, uh, unfortunately, through that whole era, forgot that uh, going back to the 20s. Uh, Elvis wasn't the first guy to move on stage. Mm-hmm. There was people like Al Jolson uh, and uh, Eddie Cantor that never stood still when they were entertaining. But the difference was that the, the Eddie Cantor and, and Al Jolson were entertaining adults. They weren't entertaining uh, teenagers. And mm-hmm. this is where the big change came in. Now all of a sudden the, the adults felt that uh, Elvis was intruding on on their grounds by you know, stealing the teenagers away and and, and uh, creating music that really only suited the teenagers, and it was an inter- interesting time. And you know, the, but the overall picture is, is the entertainment industry of of how widespread it is, how how important the music is, and how how important uh, it is to everybody. I mean, everybody has to has a favorite tune, has a favorite mu- music. I mean, most of my books, uh, when you when you go through them, you'll find there there are sections of songs uh, and lyrics that are, that are applicable to certain memories. Interesting. And and it becomes like a time clock. Yeah. You know, you start uh, generating ideas and concepts uh, right through your whole life, uh, and it's based on music. And I feel sorry for the for the present generation, because the, the the modern music does not lend itself to it. Yes. If you take a look at all the entertainers that are touring the United States right now in the world, they're all from the 60s, man. I tell you, they're all from the 60s. <laughs> 
you know, and yeah, a lot of them are unfortunately are passing away. Yeah, the current current music, it for me, I can't, uh, I, I, it, the lyrics don't stick with me, and and the music style doesn't stick no, with me. It's not something don't. I go down it, the street humming yeah, and, the, the and singing. British invasion. I mean, the music was pleasant. It was it was hummable. You could, you know, you you know, you heard it once or twice. You could you could sing along with it. Mm-hmm. It was it was you know a relaxing, quiet uh, music. Nothing, well, not exactly quiet, but. But it, it was music that was was easy easy to listen to. Easy to listen to. Whereas it. the music today, you know, you take away take away the rap because I don't consider that as music anyway. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's 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 suited to, for certain people, but uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of them. Not one, yes. uh, but uh, a Chris, a Chris, but the, Chris. the modern day music doesn't have the same type of uh, drawing power that the music back in in the '60s, '70s. Even eighties and nineties had, you know, it's it's sort of fading, fading, uh, fading away. And unfortunately, there isn't there isn't any major artist that is 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 sort of, you know, you look at the the main entertainers today. You still are still people like Elton John. You know, you still hear hear Paul McCartney in the background. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the stations are still playing the old time rock and roll from mm-hmm. from the from the bygone eras. You know, it's 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 sad. Your main character, Chris Wilde, he is a composite of all these characters that you have observed over the years. I'm guessing. Is it? Uh, would you describe That's your novel correct, yeah. novel as character driven? Is it more of a, a docudrama that's not really a documentary? How would you uh, How would you best place this? Uh, I, I, you know, basically, I think it's it's, it's a transition of 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 the steps of of how an an unknown becomes a star and uh, a lot of it is 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 uh, coincidental you know a lot of the things you know aren't planned things just happen uh in the case of chris wilde he he is like a, a dual personality because once once he gets up off onto a stage he's a different person right As mentioned in the book you know he he's uh on stage, he is one character. Off stage, he is another character. That and, happens with uh, a lot of entertainers, doesn't just, it? Uh, yeah. That a lot of entertainers have that dual personality. You, as you begin to craft this, uh, does it take you? Because you've mentioned to me, you have uh, penned a myriad of uh, of novels and books. Uh, how many to this date have been published? Uh, right now, I think I've got fifteen in the publishing stage. And uh, the remaining three or four are with the publisher right now. Incredible. Going through their final checks. Incredible. Before now, they're going to be published. As you began to, to come up with the concept for this book, how long did it take to complete 454 pages or 484 pages of, of uh, novel and content? That one, that, that, that basically is my second book. The first book I wrote was like a, a 1,200-page 12, uh, 12 marathon. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, <laughs> you know, reminiscent of people like Frederick Forsyth who put so much damn detail into his books that, that you, you get lost halfway through <laughs> because you you just lost in all the details. And uh, that was my first book, and uh, that is, in fact, <laughs> going to be published as, as two novels, uh, The Father and, and the Son. So this, uh, that's a scarlet saga that will, will be coming out uh, in, in Hopefully, relatively shortly. But uh, the first uh, uh, singing song that, that took you know basically took me 
I guess about a year. A year. Um, because I was still working as an architect at the time when I was writing it. Mm. And you multitask, I'm assuming, with all these other novels in the works. You, do you do one novel at a time, or do you do multi-novels? Uh, uh, and... I'm working on three right now. Uh, incredible. Your story, who is going to find this uh, an interesting read? Is this one that uh, is going to draw in uh, people who are character-driven, mystery-driven, action-driven? What is the, the mix in the singer and his songs? Uh, the, the basic thing, I think, is, is a recollection of the past uh, in, in, in many ways for for all the baby boomers that, uh, that experienced this era, but not only for them, but their their own kids, their own children, their own families, to understand what their what their families and parents went through in in this this transition era. And uh, I, you know, I don't think really having existed till till today, <laughs> uh, I really don't believe that the, that type that massive a change has taken place since. You know, yes, we've mm-hmm. had. The, the world of technology come in very very heavily and and uh, and the technology has and, and computers and and, and uh, cell phones and whatever else uh, all these different uh, gadgets that are now on the market uh, is a transition period but I don't think there was such a, a, a massive change in society going from the Victorian era to the modern era and I think that in itself I think is is, is would be interesting for anyone to read. Which of the scenes that you've crafted do you think is going to reach out and grab the reader and hold their attention? I think the fact, you know, that uh, he, he walks out on the stage and all of a sudden everybody stops dancing and they want to watch him, you know, for the first time. It's it's not just uh, an old band uh, type uh, music where you, music plays and everybody goes and dances, and, you know, whereas... Uh, there's a transition to actually physically seeing the entertainer, mm. and uh, you know, and I think Elvis Presley was the, probably the prime uh, draw card in in that sense because people went out to see him. I saw him in '72 in, in Buffalo. Fortunately, he was he's my hero right from from the, when I was a little kid, and uh, you know, uh, luckily I got to see him, uh, but. Uh, it was it was still when he was in his prime and back in 72 and it was a, a fantastic concert i set up in the bleachers with my wife at the time <laughs> and uh, it it was a, a very memorable evening memorable absolutely and you've uh, you've conveyed that same feel in the singer and his songs and it also is an outline of the life of superstar chris wilde is there another novel that may be a, a sequel to this, There's or did you rip it There's a sequel to that, actually. Yes, sir. Okay. I've written a sequel to called uh, John English, The Last of the British Invasion. Ah, fascinating. And, and uh, basically, it it's, uh, turns out this is, uh, John English is, is an English guitarist who doesn't want to be a rock star, but uh, wants to wants to be a, um, a uh, backup guitarist, but the best in the world. Incredible. So he, he learns from all the British Invasion guitarists and... and uh, and achieves that particular goal, so he's on demand by everybody. But all of a sudden, fate uh, decides that he he's, he's too important a person to uh, let him slip through the fingers of the music industry, so fate turns him into a superstar as well. But uh, he has a connection. He, he knew Chris Wilde, and he ends up uh, getting uh, hooked up with, uh, with uh, 
Chris Wiles' uh, first girlfriend in, in Australia. So there is some romance in this book also for those that are interested in a little oh, hugging and uh, hugging and, hugging and uh, smooching yeah. and stuff. Yeah, well, I won't say smooching. That's a bad word. It's an old word. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this, this, uh, this novel, uh, any of your novels that have been released so far, has there been uh, maybe an interest from the, from the uh, movie industry by any of the storylines you've produced? Uh, I think the, the, there has been a uh, actual uh, movie script uh, or what they call a Hollywood treatment mm-hmm. done on this particular book on the singer and song. Well, best of but luck with it. The other ones, I guess, are, are pretty pretty early stage because they've just been published basically in the last six to eight months. Because I, I had had most of them while while I was still uh, babysitting my wife in the, in the nursing home and seeing her every day. Uh, I, I, the books ended up being on the shelf, so I published hmm. probably around 14 of them all at once. That's amazing. It's it's an incredible uh, story, just the fact that you have been able to publish or create more than one novel. This is 484 pages. Amazing. The title, again, yeah. is The Singer and His Songs, and my author who has joined me from near Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is Deke Rivers. Deke, where do my listeners get copies of your book? Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and I think most of the, if you go on the web page, uh, there's there's a few web pages there that uh, actually carry some some of the publishers themselves have uh, outlets where they can get the books as well. Excellent. They can do a search under your name too, D E K E. Yeah, they can do a search under Google, and you'll find my name uh, appears there too. Fantastic. And last name if Rivers. If you look for a fiction fiction writer, just. Uh, Type in, type in a fiction writer, and you'll find the Deke Rivers there as well. Super. Your website, I think, is under development, and it's also under that same uh, author name, Deke Rivers. There's so, a couple of web, web, there's a couple of web pages actually, because I think uh, one of the publishers is doing a separate one, and I had my original one from from way back in the first book. Congratulations. Thank you for sharing your story. And if you have any interest in the music industry or in a wonderful character development, you'll enjoy this novel. The title, again, is The Singer and His Songs, author Deke Rivers, published by iUniverse. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.